Okay, you've got an outline in front of you, uh, beginning the series with Why Pray? And I want to begin by stating a basic issue and a basic thesis, as you'll see uh, on the sheet. The basic issue that Joe has already uh, alluded to is that we believe in prayer as Christians, but most Christians, if you ask them, they would say they struggle to pray. They would say their prayer life is not as it should be. To say that all Christians believe in prayer is not just an opinion, it is a true statement. Uh, In fact, if you think about it, a Christian, by definition, is a prayer, somebody who prays. Because to become a Christian is to be someone who calls on God as their father. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, Paul talks about Christians as those who call on the name of Jesus Christ. So the Christian life begins with a prayer of repentance and faith. And so Christians, by definition, are people who believe in prayer. And yet most Christians struggle to pray. That is not saying that prayer itself is difficult, but most Christians find praying faithfully, regularly, consistently, meaningfully, in any disciplined or planned way, a challenge. There will, I think, be people in this room with a healthy prayer life, people who are growing in this area, hope there are. But I suspect if we did a survey and we kind of went around the room and asked people, are you happy with your prayer life? Do you think it is all it could be? Then I think probably most people would say no. They'd like it to be better. In fact, it might be the case that there are a few areas of the Christian life where our stated belief clashes so starkly with our actual practice. We believe in prayer, and yet we fail in prayer very often. Now, when we turn to the Bible, there is plenty of encouragement that we are not unusual in this. For example, it's interesting, isn't it, that the disciples, just before the Lord's Prayer, actually asked Jesus to teach them to pray. So here are the disciples sensing their own inadequacy, and that tells us that prayer might not be as natural as we think. We need to learn to pray. And then often in the New Testament letters, Christians are exhorted to pray, encouraged, commanded to pray, which tells us, doesn't it, that we are not unusual in struggling with prayer. And finally, Paul, who I presume is a a model, a godly model of somebody who you'd expect to have an easy prayer life, he talks about prayer as struggling, Colossians 2 verse 1, wrestling Colossians 4 verse 12 and so even for the apostle Paul prayer wasn't something that just kind of came like breathing he had to make himself do it he had to discipline himself to do it it was a struggle it was a wrestle it was hard work it required sweat and discipline and if that's the case for Paul then we shouldn't be surprised if that is uh, true for us too so that is the basic issue that we're going to address the, the kind of the gap between our stated belief and our practice. We believe in prayer, but we often struggle to do it. But secondly, I want to state a basic thesis will, which will determine how we'll deal with the issue. My basic assumption behind this series of talks is that if we're going to grow in our prayer life, the first thing we need to do and the most important thing we need to do is to understand prayer properly. There might be all sorts of practical things that we can do 
Uh, we might be able to think in time about productivity and busyness. and There might be all sorts of barriers to praying. But the fundamental thing we've got to understand is what prayer is. Actually understand what we are doing when we pray. That is, as with most things in the Christian life, it begins with theology. It begins by understanding how God thinks about it. As we understood what God has revealed in his word, our minds and hearts will be changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit. And so rather than me giving you a kind of list of ten things to do to pray better, we're going to spend the term actually thinking theologically about what prayer is. And we're going to see this evening that prayer is actually very, very simple. We will cover some more challenging things in the term ahead. For example, we're going to grapple a little bit in a few weeks' time with the the relationship between God's sovereignty and our free will. So, for example, if God is sovereign, if he has already decided everything ahead of time, why pray? What is the purpose of it? How does that kind of work together? We will think about some challenging things. Does prayer actually change anything? It's a really helpful thing to think about. But that's for later. This evening, we're simply going to see that prayer is not complicated and it's not mysterious. And I want to suggest that by the end of our few minutes together this evening, if we've understood what prayer is, we may just find an encouragement to get down to praying ourselves. So what is prayer then? I've got a picture, uh, six pictures, and from these we're going to get six assumptions about prayer all of them incorrect here are some religious people reciting holy words the words are pre-written the prayer is to recite them and to adopt certain postures certain positions to face certain directions 10 seconds with your neighbor what is the assumption here Okay, time's up. Let's have a couple of answers. We've got to move quite quickly. So, assumption behind this, assumption about prayer. Somebody? Something we do or specifically say makes it effective. Yeah, so something we do, like a kind of a ritual or rule or position, a set posture, and God will hear our prayer. Second assumption. Uh, A guy called Keith Green, who wrote a lot of Christian songs in the the 60s and 70s, uh, wrote a popular Christian song which went like this. Make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words, no white lies, no token prayers, no compromise. Let's just do this without the discussion. What is the compromise? I mean, sorry, what is the assumption? <laughs> that wasn't given away. What is prayer? You're not actually saying anything. You're just kind of, it's just happening as you're living. It's the life. It's the life you lived, isn't it? It's prayer is actually not a verbal thing. It's, it's the life of obedience to God. Okay, third one. Uh, here's Bill Hybels, a popular Christian writer, pastor of a big church in America, um, wrote one of the most popular and influential books of prayer called Too Busy Not to Pray. He says, as I've studied prayer and prayed, I've sensed God saying, if we enjoy a relationship, why are you doing all the talking? Let me get a word in some way, in, in somewhere. And he goes on to devote three chapters in that book about prayer to the importance of listening to God. Later... He says, if the essence of Christianity is a personal relationship between an almighty God and individual human beings, it stands to reason that God still speaks to believers today. 
You can't build a relationship with one-way speeches. You need frequent, sustained, intimate contact between two persons, both of whom speak and who listen. Okay, 10 seconds with your neighbour. What is the assumption? Okay, time's up. Assumption behind this one about prayer. What is prayer? It's a two-way conversation. A two-way conversation. So prayer is, is speaking to God, and which is, he rightly says is very important, but it's also listening to God, which is, he rightly says is very important. The question is, is that what prayer is? Fifth one. Here's just... Um, what is that, <laughs> Chloe? <laughs> devotion. Is it what? Devotion. Devotion. Okay, right, okay. So, okay, got it. Sorry, I was... No, no. You're right. <laughs> Silent devotion. Okay. Got it. Yes, there's a person there in a cathedral. Um, excellent choice of picture. Um, so, in many religions, uh, not just in Christianity, but prayer is silent meditation, different state of consciousness. Um, assumption there? Anybody? Sorry, John. Yeah, it's just kind of something you do on your own, yeah? And it's, um, I guess, again, it's a kind of wordless thing, isn't it? Okay, this is one I was expecting. Chloe, brilliant. Um, candles, that's what, candles. Um, all over the world, you go into the European cathedrals and you sometimes can pay 50p or whatever, and you can light a candle, and it says, light a candle as a prayer for people you love or for someone who's died or whatever. Ten seconds with your neighbour. Easy one, this. What is going on with the candles? Okay. Anybody? So what, why might you light a candle as a prayer? How does that work? Can someone kind of explain what the assumption is there? Something else is doing the praying. Something else is doing the praying. Yeah, I suppose God is seeing the candle. He's seeing your intention in the prayer. And it's kind of a substitute prayer. Is that the kind of thing? Okay, last one. Prayer wheels. Um, I think this is a Buddhist thing in the Himalayas. And the, the wheels are sort of spinning. And the deity is hearing the prayers being said. Assumption. What way of thinking of prayer is this? Like something that needs to be mediating. Yeah, that's, yeah there's a sort of a god or a goddess and there's something that we're doing to make this deity kind of hear us and answer us and that kind of thing but it's non-verbal it's non-personal it's a little bit strange um i remember when our children were at school they were asked to write prayers on a piece of paper and put them into a box and no one was going to say the prayers it was just the act of putting the piece of paper into a box it's not that far away is it from doing that so all of that was just to clear the ground to think about what prayer is not some of those examples are wordless uh, some of them are impersonal some of them involve doing particular things and saying particular words or living life in a particular way but when we turn to the Bible we'll see a different pattern emerging the Bible speaks of prayer in a much more straightforward way. Again, we're just going to do a little bit of work here. So what I'm going to do is divide the room. I know it's a bit unequal, but if you can be group one and you can be group two, okay? Group one, group two, just 
have a, a couple of minutes with your neighbour just to kind of work through those. Uh, it's not complicated. Um, what is prayer is the question. And just write something down in the box. What is prayer uh, in, in the light of those texts? Okay, I'm not going to get people to um, sort of tell me what they've put at this point. Um, just have, make sure you've got something written in that box. And then turn over the page and I'll tell you what I think. Uh, the prayer is asking God to do his thing using words. Prayer is asking God to do his thing using words. Don't worry if you didn't get that exactly. Um, but hopefully you've got something along the lines of asking God. So let's think about that first. Now, we might be a little bit embarrassed about this. Um, For example, one evangelical scholar says, this is Paul Helm, uh, that petitionary prayer, that is, seeing prayer as just asking God, is, and I quote, insufficiently God-centred, grasping and selfish, and presupposes an inappropriate idea of God as a sugar daddy. But I think if you think about it, those quotes there would say no. None of them are embarrassed about going to God to ask him for things. In fact, the words used in the New Testament, which refer to prayer, mean exactly that. Uh, The prayers in the New Testament are full of requests, pleas, intercessions, urgings, beseeching, supplication, petition. Every one of those words is a way of saying asking. Of course, there are prayers of thanksgiving, there are prayers of praise and confession, but it seems to me that the basic idea, the fundamental idea, is asking. In fact, it wasn't very long ago that the word pray, in sort of English, just a few hundred years ago, meant to ask. Uh, Pray past that glass of water, someone might say later, uh, over the meal. And what pray are you? said the white witch to Edmund. If you think about it, this makes sense. (coughs) Think about our relationship with God. There is a very distinct inequality, isn't there? Prayer is us speaking to God. What are we going to do when we speak to the one who controls the universe? Yes, we're going to praise and thank him, but we're not going to tell him things he already knows because he is God. The very nature of our relationship suggests that we should ask him. So another theologian of the last century writes this. This is Karl Barth speaking this time. He says, while prayer is a matter of worship and penitence, it is not in the first instance. In the first instance, it is an asking, a seeking, a knocking directed towards God, a wishing, a desiring, a requesting presented to God. And there is nothing impersonal about that. So just think about the relationship between a parent and a small child. I can remember those times when children just needed help to do absolutely everything. And just when they got to the point where they can kind of articulate their needs. Can you, Joe will be able to associate this very well. Can you tie up my shoelace? Can you help me blow my nose? Can you pull my socks up? Can you open the door? Can you turn the lights on? Can you get the crayons out? Can you reach that piece of paper? Can you open the glue? Can you have a, give me a glass of milk? Can you work out that sum? Can you spell that word? Have you been listening to my last hour? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I'm sure Joe doesn't just turn around and say, what do you think you, I am, you selfish, grasping little brat, some kind of sugar daddy. <laughs> or maybe he does when he's at the end of his tether. 
But the very nature of our relationship with our children presupposes that they will ask for things. Ask for things all the time. That's what parents are there for. And so asking God for the things that we need and cannot do ourselves, just as the toddler, the four-year-old child, will ask the things that they cannot do themselves, is a perfectly right and proper expression of our relationship with God. And it's not one-sided. It is reciprocal. See, Bill Hybels is quite right that we must listen to God. We should hang off every word that proceeds from his mouth. But he's wrong to confuse listening to God with prayer. The Bible doesn't do that. Prayer is asking God. And it's not impersonal. It is reciprocal because we ask and God gives. That is the nature of the relationship. And so here's the first thing. Prayer is asking God. And I don't know about you, but that makes me want to pray. James 4 verse 2 on the sheet. You want something, but you don't get it. You have because you do not ask God. God is sovereign. Nothing happens without his will. But this is teaching us that there are some things in this world that do not exist. There are some things that we do not have. There are some people who will not hear the gospel because we have not asked God for those things. That is pretty challenging, isn't it? And encouraging. Prayer really does make a difference. If it doesn't, why would God ask us to pray? Uh, as I said, in a future week, we'll work out the relationship between what God has already decided and why he asks us to pray. But that's for another week. What we need to see now is that prayer does change things. God does answer prayer. And there are some things we don't have that we could have because we don't pray. But what do we ask God for in particular? Well, we're asking God to do his thing. To further his purposes in the only way that he can do. Now, in one sense, that opens the door to pretty much anything, doesn't it? Nothing is outside of God's will. And in some ways, there is no good thing that you cannot ask God for. But when we read the Bible, we do get a particular focus. So if you turn to 1 Timothy 2, now that would be helpful. And we'll see a particular reason that God wants us to pray, a particular context for our prayers in 1 Timothy 2. And if someone would like to shout out a page number, that would be great for the slow Bible flippers among us. 1191. 1191, thanks, John. 1191. 1 Timothy 2. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed a herald, an apostle, I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. 
Well, the asking God bit comes in verse 1 and verse 8. Requests, prayers, intercession are ways of asking, as we've already seen, the very essence of prayer. And in verse 8, Paul wants men, and here he means males. So this version of the Bible was written before the kind of gender-inclusive language. In the first part, when he's talking about God wants men to be saved, he's talking about everybody. But in verse 8, he is talking about males. He wants them to pray. This doesn't mean that this is their only responsibility in church, nor does he mean that Paul doesn't want women to pray. But he is addressing this instruction specifically to men. You can tell by the way he continues to then address women in the next part of the passage. So if there's one thing Paul wants men to do, particularly it is to pray, to lead the way in prayer. But what does he want them to pray for? Everyone, verse 1. But there's a logic which Paul then explains. Verse 3, this is good and pleases God, our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So Paul wants us to pray because God is saving people. Not only is, has God uh, made clear his desire to save people, but he's made a way for people to be saved. One way, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. So the context for prayer here is the gospel work of God. God has saved us in Christ. He's made that gospel available to all people. And in the light of that, he wants prayer to be be said. Verse 2 explains the circumstances in which the gospel can best be heard. That's why we pray for kings and those in authority so that the circumstances in society can be conducive for the gospel to be heard. But the thing Paul is really on about is the gospel being heard. And that's what it means to say prayer is asking God to do his thing, to bring the gospel into the world, to save people, because that's what only he can do. But there's one more thing we need to see. Prayer is asking God to do his thing using words. And for this we need to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Just back a few pages to Ephesians chapter 1. So we saw in some of those uh, examples of how people think about prayer, silent contemplation, the mystical business of lighting a candle, a ritual formulation, even something like spinning wheels. But in the Bible, prayer is always speaking normal words to God. Have a look at it in Ephesians chapter 1. Pick it up in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So Paul is thanking God for the Ephesians' conversion, and he's letting them know that he is praying for them. 
And then he spells the prayer out in words, doesn't he? He doesn't just say, I'm praying for you. And he doesn't just say I, to God, I pray for my friends in Ephesus. Have you noticed in prayer meetings, as you listen to people praying, and perhaps you've heard yourself do that just to keep saying, and we pray for so and so, and we pray for this and we pray for that, and never actually getting to the point of saying what we're praying for. Just try substituting the word prayer with ask. We ask for so and so, we ask for this, we ask that. We actually need to spell out what we are asking. And so we use words. Not because God doesn't know our thoughts, but because this is the way he has chosen to involve us in his work. So there we have it. A very simple, uncomplicated, unmysterious introduction to prayer in the Bible. There's lots more we're going to say. We're going to spend the whole term <coughs> looking at this topic. But the fundamentals are there. Prayer is asking God to do his thing. The thing that he alone can do. The thing that he is most passionate about. To further his kingdom. For people to hear the gospel. To save people. To grow churches. To grow disciples. Prayer is asking God to do his thing. It is a request to God. And it's using ordinary human language. And if you think about it, that is liberating, isn't it? It's an amazing privilege that Christians have. That we can speak directly in ordinary language to the creator of the universe. That we have direct access to him in Christ. That we don't have to go to a special building. We don't have to adopt a special position. Face a particular way. Learn particular words. We can speak to God in our ordinary own language. And he hears us. And the God who rules this universe answers our prayers. And makes a difference to this world and to eternity. And so in conclusion, why pray? Well, the Bible gives us a number of reasons we should pray. We should pray because the Christian life is about trusting God. And prayer expresses this dependence on God. We should pray because God commands us to and it's a sin not to. We should pray, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, on all occasions, in all kinds of prayers and requests. We should pray, as he says in Philippians 4, because it's really good for us. It's really good for anxiety uh, to pray. It's the antidote to anxiety, to pray and ask God to present our request to him. There are other reasons we should pray. We should pray because God has promised. But the most basic and important reason that we should pray is because we can. That God allows us to do so. That he involves us in his plans. That in the gospel he has opened up a way for sinful people to approach the throne of the universe in Christ. And I don't think we need any more encouragement or reason to pray than the fact that we get to. And I think this is a great challenge for us as Christians because, as I said at the beginning, by definition, we are prayers. But sometimes our lives look more like materialists than people who believe in God. To be a Christian is to call on God who runs this world. So why don't you, on your way home, or just before you go to sleep tonight, pray for something big. 
Pray for the downfall of North Korea so the gospel can make way there. Pray for the softening of the heart of your most crazy, hard-hearted flatmate. Just, just think about who, who they are, the person that you know who is least likely, humanly speaking, to believe the gospel. Why don't you pray for them? And we'll see that prayer is both simple and difficult. It's simple, as we've already seen, because it's asking God for things, but it's difficult, isn't it? Because when we pray, we are actually saying, God is very big, and we are very small. We're asking God to do something supernatural. We're actually living in a way that is different to the, most, the way most people believe. Most people are materialists at heart, believing in cause and effect. We have a different worldview. We believe that God is at the centre of this world. And if we ask him for things, he can answer. And so let's finish with what Jesus says in Matthew 7. It's great encouragement to ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. Amen.